Well, let's begin by reading our text. It begins in Romans chapter 11 and verse 1. We'll look at verses 1 through 10 this morning. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I've reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it. And the rest were blinded, just as it is written. God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see, and bow down their back always. We, we come to a, a text this morning that flows right along with all of the, the arguments and the thinking that Paul has been bringing to us for the last couple chapters. We come to a, a, a place where, as we're, we're studying these things, we've seen a, a, a series. We've seen him, him bring up position after position, question after question, reason after reason for... The reason why God's purposes for Israel have not failed. We, we have been looking at, at this in the last several chapters of looking at God's grace that's come upon and the people and the gospel going forward. And Paul looking and saying, but is it that God's promises to Israel have failed? And he begins looking in, in chapter 9 at, at all of these reasons why it is that God's that God's promises to Israel have not failed. He begins by going through and, and saying that God's elected to salvation some who are saved and some who would not be saved. Um, and in the end of chapter 9, he, he begins by, by going through and saying that God already has revealed that not all of Israel would be saved, but that some of the Gentiles would. And so he goes through and saying this is... The, the, here's the verses that show this, that, that there would be election. Here's the verses that show that not all of Israel would be saved. Here's the verses that show that there would be Gentiles who would be saved. He, he goes in, into chapter 10 and just shows, and it's, it's not just election that we're dealing with, but it is the Jews' own fault. It's their own fault that they don't believe. It's their responsibility. And now in, in, in chapter 11... He begins by saying, I say then, has God cast his, away his people? And his response is, certainly not. Absolutely not. God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Has God cast away his people? Paul's saying, absolutely not. I am a Jew. 
And, and so we look at this, and it's interesting because you'll, you'll find that the, the subject that we're, we're focusing on this morning, there's a lot of theology that would come from this. Um, we're, we're, we're just scratching the surface of, of something that, you look at it, it, it relates to end times. It, it relates to the future that, that there is for Israel, um, or whether there is a future for the nation of Israel. You, you look at, at Israel, and it's amazing to see what God's done through that nation. There was once a, a question that George Bernard Shaw gave, asking a theologian of, of if there's any proof for the existence of God. And the, the, the theologian replied by saying, I, I can prove the existence of God with one or two words. And the answer was, the Jews. You, you, you look at the Jews, and it, it's amazing what God has done in that nation. You look at, at, at what's taking place, and from, from AD 70, when the Romans conquered Jerusalem, and, and you watch and you see Jews being spread throughout all of the world, to seeing what took place in World War II. Where you, you see Jews that are in all different countries, all over the world. And they still, they still think of themselves as Jews, as Israelites. They, they're a part of, of Poland, or they're a part of Belgium, or they're a part of France, or they're a part of Germany. And yet in their minds, they still think of themselves as is we are Jews, nationally, as far as the religion is concerned, every part of them thinks that way. We, we, we think of, of all that have come to the United States. Um, there's, there's the Otsuji family, and um, I shared with you, I, I, I messed up some of my facts last time, and angry family and things like that. But let me just try to get this right this time. The Otsujis came to the United States on a boat. And, and there was no other way at the time. It was, it was 100 years ago this February 14th, upcoming February 14th. And, and they came, and you can look and see how much money they had. It wasn't much. And they came, and... and and they were farmers, and it goes through, it tells you where they were from, and you can look up all the information. But they moved here and landed here in California. And you, you watch and you see what's taking place as far as um, the relocation camps in World War II, um, them being sent to different states, to different places. They had a choice of where to go from there, and some of the Otsujis went up to to Michigan, and some of them stayed here in, in California, and, and my, my dad was born right, right after that, and uh, grew up in Los Angeles, M- went to Venice High School with my mom. She also, also went to Venice High School. By the way, we have like five graduates of Venice High School here, and I don't know if there's any others, but we find that to be weird. Um, Georgia Gawa, go, whatever you guys are at Venice High School. Um, 
John Prunty. But you look and, and, and there's, there's all these, these people were there. And it, it, it was a strange thing to, to, at that time, Japanese people were supposed to marry Japanese people. And, and, and white people were supposed to marry white people. But my dad was rebellious and married my blonde mom. And, and, uh, and then came the Otsujis that are currently here. Many of you know them, my siblings. And I married Tasha, also blonde. <laughs> Therefore, I have one kid that has brown hair, and I have one little blonde girl. <laughs> and, and you look at her, and, and most people look, and they, they just think, she yours? I was at... I was getting my hair cut, and well, Jonathan was getting his hair cut. I was holding Natalie, and, and somebody asked Michelle, who was cutting my hair, like, why is that Asian guy holding that white baby? <laughs> People say weird things like that. Like, I was coming out of Kohl's, and I had some bags, and I was carrying Natalie, and some lady walked by me and just was like, where do I get one of you to take care of my kids? I was so gracious. I was so gracious. All these thoughts went in my head like, you're a pastor. Just remember, you're a pastor. She may... She may show up someday at your church. But we don't, we don't speak Japanese. My brother has learned some because he worked for a Japanese company, but the rest of us don't. My sisters won't even touch sushi. I, and, and you look at our kids, and I, I just think, like, okay, think of Natalie. Like, people are going to be like, why is your name Otsuji? You don't look like an Otsuji. And... And she, she's at a point, 25%. And, and, and then the, at the next point, you know, it'll be, well, it depends on who she marries. But the kids, you know, 12.5% Japanese. And, and yet there'll still be some that are called Otsujis. And we've kind of lost that, that strong national heritage as far as, like, we don't speak the language. Um, we like... Some of us like sushi, but not all of us. Um, I've been to the airport, but that's it. And, and so our I- identity is we're Americans. Um, whether you see us to be Americans or not, we are Americans. <laughs> and, and so <laughs> there is a member of our church who said that he came to our church and said, that's so weird, the, the pastor's Japanese, like... Was he not good at math? <laughs> um, and to answer that question, no, I was not. And in God's good providence, he caused that so that I would be a pastor. I can blame my mom. Um, but you look and, and, and you, just, you, you see that the, the strong national heritage isn't there. As most of you, you identify yourselves probably... If, if, as, as Americans. And yet you look at, at the history of Israel and you see them for 2,000, for 2,000 years. Not, we're not talking about 100 years. We're talking about 
thousand years and, and many of them being in all different countries and yet they identify themselves as Jews. And you look and, and, and you see the way that God brought them back to Israel in 1948. Um, I mean, just, just remarkable to, 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 to be able to look. I believe it was May 14th, 1948, that Israel became a nation again. Um, and you see what God's done in that country, the preserving of them. And yet you go there and you see a people who still to this day, many of them do not believe in Christ. There's many here who, who have the same Jewish ancestry, and yet you wholeheartedly receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, your Messiah. question is, is what's God's plan for them in the future? There's been promises that have been given. Let's, let's look at a few of them. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 35. Jeremiah 31, verse says here, thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. It's radical. I mean, basically, God's saying, there's the sun, there's the moon, there's the stars, there's the sea, there's the waves. If all of those things cease and depart from me, if, if, if those things no longer obey me, if I'm no longer in control of those things, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Saying, unless I cease to be God, Israel will continue. Unless I cease to be God, you are going to see the nation Israel before me forever. Um, Turn with me to, to, to Psalm 89, verse 31. While you're turning there, I'll read 1 Samuel 12, 22. It says this, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. The Lord will not forsake his people. Why? For his namesake. Because it pleased the Lord to make you his people. In Psalm 89, verse 31, it says, If they, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness, I will not utterly take from them, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I've sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun 
before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. If you go just a a couple chapters further on, Psalm 94, verse 14. Psalm 94, 14. For the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. One last passage I want to look at is Isaiah 43, verse 1. Now remember, as we look at these passages, Isaiah 43, 1, you're seeing promise after promise that is given to Israel. Promise of them enduring. Promise of God's faithfulness to them. In Isaiah 43, verse 1, it says, But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Sabah in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. And you, you just hear the heart of God talking about his people. And there's just such clarity that is there as far as he, he loves them. I'm going to be faithful to you. It's going to be forever. So you look at, at Romans 11, and he says, I say then, you could turn back there with me, I say then, has God cast away his people? He's speaking to these people, and, and they're looking, saying, there's, there's so many Jews who do not believe in Christ as the Messiah, They've, they've clung to all of these promises. They've heard the promises. They know the law. They know the prophecies. They have them memorized. They're looking for someone who is going to reign. And, and they're not believing. And so Paul says, has God cast away his people? And the answer that is given is, certainly not. Has God cast away his people, Israel? Certainly not. God forbid. And then he begins to give reasons. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Has God cast away his people? Paul's saying, absolutely not. I'm a Jew. I was the one that was going out persecuting. I was the one that was the Pharisee of Pharisees. I was the one that knew the law. I was the one that, that hated Christianity. I was the one that was rejecting the gospel. And yet, God has saved me. Has God cast away his people? Absolutely not. Even if it's only me. 
Even if it was only me, God has not cast away his people. He saved me. He's faithful to his promises. If they're listening and you, you go through the last several chapters that we've been looking at, and all of them are, are pointing to the fact that we are secure in Christ. We're secure in him. There's no one that can separate you from his love. All things work together for good to those who love him and who are the called. The, the whole thrust of this is you are secure in Christ. And so they're looking at it saying, but all of these promises were given to Israel, and yet has God cast them away? And Paul's saying, absolutely not. I'm evidence of that. I'm a Jew, and I believe in Christ and in the gospel. And then he begins to give more reasons. God, verse 2, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so, then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Let's look at, at where this passage comes from. If you turn with me to the book of 1 Kings, to chapter 18. We, we see in... in in this chapter, just this amazing story. You have Ahab and you have Jezebel who are ruling the land. And Elijah is there and, and the nation of, of Israel has, has turned away from God. Um, they, they have been absolutely brutal, uh, the people, the rulers over the Israelites. In, in chapter 18, verse 1, it says, and it, and it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I'll send rain on the earth. There's a lot there. It's Ahab, an incredibly wicked ruler. So God says to Elijah, Go present yourself to Ahab. And I'm going to send rain on the earth. At this particular time, uh, there's a, a terrible famine that's taking place there in Samaria. Um, it had not rained. And so we see that Ahab's there, this wicked ruler, and God's saying, Elijah, go to him. In verse 2, it says, So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go into the land, to all the springs of water, and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to, to keep the horses and mules alive, so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. And 
Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now Obadiah was on his way, and, and suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him. And, and Obadiah fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, saying, It is I. Go tell your master Elijah is here. So you have this story where, where Elijah is obeying. Obadiah, go tell Ahab. Go tell your, your master that Elijah is here. And, and, and Ob- Obadiah responds by saying, How have I sinned that you're delivering your servant into the land of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And, and when they said, he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or, or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. And so I come to pass, as soon as I'm gone from you, that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he's going to kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid 100 men of the Lord's, uh, 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. He'll kill me. And so here Obadiah is saying, you're asking me to do something that I'm going to die for sure. I mean, if I go to Ahab and say that you're here, but then you leave and you're not there. I'm, I'm a dead man. I, I hid a hundred of the prophets. I fed them when I was never supposed to. I'll be a dead man. Then Elijah says, as a Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. As a Lord of hosts lives, I promise you, I will be there. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, and that you have forsaken the commandment of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. The 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So go get 850 of your prophets. See, I, could, I can do a little math. <laughs> I think that's right, right honey. Get, go get them. Go get the prophets. Bring them up to Mount Carmel. So Ahab sent to all the children of Israel, gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. He's going to Israel. How long are you going to falter between the two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. If, If Baal's God, then follow him. You look and... It says, but the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. 
but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls, and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire under it. And I'll prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And then you call on the name of your gods, and I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Now, know that the people believed that the God Baal was the one that was the God that controlled the thunder and the lightning and the storms. And so Elijah's saying, okay, your God supposedly controls the lightning and the thunder and the storms. Take your offering. You put it on your stack of wood, but no fire there. I'll put mine on mine, but no fire there. And let's see what happens. Your God controls supposedly supposedly the thunder and the lightning and the storms. Now Elijah said to the prophets, Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of, of Baal from morning till noon, saying, Baal, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating or, or he's busy. Call louder. Maybe he's meditating right now. Louder. You see in this passage just incredible smack talking. Like, incredible. The, the word, or maybe he is busy, is a, most believe it's a, it's a euphemism for maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's going potty. Call upon him. He's, maybe he's meditating right now, or maybe he's going potty. Maybe, maybe that's the reason why he hasn't answered you. Or maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he went on vacation. He goes on. He just, he just continues to say, perhaps, perhaps he's sleeping. It must be awakened. So they cried aloud and they cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until blood gushed out on them. And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. And then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he had repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the, Lord, the, to whom the, the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. So he does this just to show the unity that is there of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 stones that are there on the altar. And then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seals of seed. And he put the, the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood, and said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. 
And then he said, do it a second time. Get another four pots, water pots of water. And they did it a second time. And then he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran around the altar, all around the altar. And he also filled the trench with water. So he just says, go get four pots. Pour it on, the, the sacrifice. Pour it on the wood. Get another four pots. Get another four pots. And so there's water covering all inside that trench that he had made. And this thing is just soaked with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and he executed them there. This is radical. I mean, what's taking place here? Cover it with water, and then God just takes it. Not, not only does he burn up the sacrifice, but we're told that, that it consumed the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up all the water that was there in the trench. God just displaying himself in the most radical way to his people. You go from there to chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel, that wicked leader, all that Elijah had done and how he had executed all the prophets with a sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he had saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. This, to me, this is really interesting because you look in, in chapter 18, did you not think Elijah is so brave? <laughs> he is so tough. I mean, like he just, bring him up here. Get all of them, 850 of them, bring them all up here. Pour buckets of water on the sacrifice. He's talking smack talk, doing all that he's doing. You're just looking at like, this guy is so tough. I mean, just incredible. Goes and kills all of the prophets. I mean, you look at it and it's just, he, a man's man kind of guy. And now this lady says to him, I'm coming after you. And he just runs for his life. I think it's important for us to see this because before we laugh too hard, that's, that's us. And there are times where you have such a big view of God. Your view of God is such that, man, Lord, you could do anything. You, you can do anything. I mean, look how you provided this. Or, 
Look at this special gift that you have given us. Or you brought salvation to this person. I never thought that they'd get saved. Or you changed that person's heart. They had the hardest heart. And you've changed their heart. You have taken something that looks like it was just crumbling apart. And you made it all come back together again. God, you can do anything. And our view of God is just so high. And his sovereignty is so great. And our faith is so big. And it can be the next day where something else happens and we get right back to, oh, I don't know how this is going to ever work out. I don't see how this could ever be okay. I don't know how. And, and, and just run. And you look at this and it seems like the guy has gone crazy. I mean, you just saw something that was miraculous. There was fire that came down and just consumed everything. And you heard the people's response. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And now you're at a place where this woman says, I'm coming after you now. And you're like, ah, and just takes off running. And you look, and and this is what he says. Tells us he went a day's journey in the wilderness. He came down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. I, I just, I just want to die. I, I just want to die. It says, then as he lay and slept under the brim tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And then he, he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Now there, there is so much here that is pointing ahead to Christ to come. And so much here that you're looking at and you're seeing where he's going in the 40 days and all that has taken place. And you just look and it's, it is all pointing us to Christ who would come. There he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And so he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Think of this response. This is where, we, this, is where this comes from in Romans chapter 11. He's looking at this. He has just seen incredible things take place. Now he's running from Jezebel. He's there, and, and God has come in, in this Christophany and has met him and given him food and drink that sustained him for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's gone, and God comes to him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are, what are you doing here? And he just looks, and everything's bad. And in his mind, it's just incredible pessimism that's taking place look and he just says I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts 
God, do you know what I've done? Look at all of this that I've done. Been very zealous. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've left you. They, they've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. I'm the only one. The only one that's here. They hate you. They, they don't obey your covenants. They, you did this incredible thing and they say one thing, but they do another thing and, and they, they're following after other gods. They killed all the prophets. I'm the only one that is left. And there's times for us where we look and we could get into the same place of everybody is against me. I don't know how this could ever work out. Why is it that all of this has happened, but I'm all by myself? Well, you look and and, and God says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And so you look at this, and there is wind that breaks rocks, and an earthquake that shakes the mountain. And there's this fire that comes. But then God, God comes to Elijah with a still, small voice. I love this. I mean, I, I look at this, and you see the heart of the Lord your God, and he, he can make lightning come down and just consume an entire altar with the offering. He can make wind that just destroys rocks and make the entire mountain quake, and he can make fire that is just consuming of everything. But then he comes to Elijah with this quiet, still, small voice just as the holy spirit does for us doesn't he those times in our lives where you just you read something and god's just saying here it is so when elijah heard it he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave and suddenly a voice came to him and said what are you doing here elijah and he said I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Look, the Lord so quietly just says to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint his as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elijah will kill. Yet, verse 18, yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal. 
and every mouth that has not kissed him. Now you look at this, and this is where we come to in Romans chapter 11. I have reserved 7,000 in Israel. You're saying, Elijah, I'm alone. You're saying, you've killed, they've killed all your prophets with a sword, and I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And he just tells them, I've reserved 7,000 in Israel. Notice the wording here. I have reserved. There is a remnant that is there. There are 7,000 who are there. You're looking at it as saying, I'm alone. I'm all by myself. God, they've, they've broken down your altars. They've, they've forsaken your covenants. They've done all these things. I alone have left. And God just says, no, there's a remnant that's there. I've kept, I've kept 7,000. I've kept 7,000. So we look at this in Romans 11. Where Paul is saying, don't you know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel saying, Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've torn down your altars. I alone am left and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Even so then, there is this remnant that is there. Has God forsaken his people? Has he cast away his people? No. Paul's saying, I'm a Jew. But not only that, but think of Elijah. He thought that he was all by himself, but there was a remnant. There were 7,000. And not only that, but look, the the gospel is preached and 5,000 came to know Christ at one time. Another time, Thousands more came to know Christ, and daily they're being added to the church, daily as the gospel is going forward. You may feel like God has cast away his people, but there are people come to know Christ. And just as there were 7,000 in the days of Elijah, there are also Jews that are coming to know Christ right now. God has not forsaken his people. He has not forsaken his people. And it comes, there's this remnant according to the election of grace. Just like it was with the 7,000. Likewise it is right now. There is a remnant according to grace. And it is not of works. He goes on and he says, Even so, at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. And he's just, he just dives right into its grace. It is all grace. God is saving his people. He has not cast away his people. There is grace that God is pouring. It's not based on the works. It's all according to grace. It is the gospel. And we bit off more than we could chew this morning, so we'll stop there and continue next week. But you look at it, and it's, there is a plan that God has for his people. Is God faithful to his promises? Absolutely. Absolutely. The same promises that he gave all throughout the Old Testament, he is continuing on. And I'll tell you, there are people here this morning who are Jews, who are following Christ with all of their heart. And as we'll find as this chapter goes on, it continues as the Lord brings his people to salvation. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, what an amazing thing it is to read your word and to see where you inspired Paul to go to in 1 Kings and, and to, 
to show the people that you are so powerful, that, that you do whatever you desire to do. And even when, when people are in despair and they're running and they feel like everything's against them, even when we are in despair and running and feel like there's no escape and there's no way out, you point us to the fact that, Lord, you accomplish your purposes. There's a remnant that's there. There's those that you preserved, that you saved, that you kept by your power, by your grace. And it wasn't based on their works. It was all according to grace. And I I pray that, that in looking at this, it would give us, your people, just such great confidence in our Redeemer. The same one who made promises to Israel and who assures them that he will keep those to the very end is the same God who tells us who are here that are Gentiles, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you hold us in your hand and there's no one that can snatch you away. You tell us that you're the author and you're the finisher of our faith and you began a good work in us and you'll be faithful to complete it and, and that you work all things together for good to those who love you and who are the called. And we, we hear these promises and just as we, we see that you're faithful to Israel, likewise we can just know with absolute assurance that you will be faithful to us, your people, from everlasting to everlasting. We are so secure with you because of who you are and your power and your might. That you are a covenant keeper. You keep your promises. You're faithful to keep your promises. May may that bring such joy into our hearts. And may may we have the confidence that Elijah did in, in 1 Kings 18. May we just look at you as a God who can accomplish all all things, and there is nothing that is too hard for you. And it's with that heart that we praise you this morning in song. Be glorified through the praises of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.